Hello and welcome back to Flowing Backwards, a podcast by me, Phil Peake, and the man up in the hills, Ian for Candles Moss. Right, start off with an apology. It's been nearly four weeks since the last posting and personal reasons, I'm not going to go into it, but be prepared for a few to be thrown in at once. You won't get bored anyway. So um, this is episode 12, part one, and it's called Cockatoo. Hmm, wonder where that one's come from. Maybe somebody um, uh, has an internal joke. Ha <laughs> ha! Anyway, right. So we'll get down to it and sit back, relax, grab a beer, pack it up crisp and enjoy. Good morning, campers. Um, I've got some news for you. I'm writing another book. Uh, for those of you who know, I'm, I'm the published author, <laughs> which surprised me as much as anybody else. Anyway, uh, not only am I a published author, I'm going to be a public or published author times two, uh, and I'm writing a book of um, of my lyrics, and I've been working on that since I last spoke with you, and uh, I came across a lyric yesterday um, from uh, sort of late eighties that I wrote, and um, and it's gone in the book. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to read you that. In fact, I'm going to read you the preamble to it and read you the uh, the lyric as, as a starting point to today's episode, which is called Cockatoo Stroke One. Okay, uh, the, the piece is called Little Boy. Concerned with the choices of where to target the atomic bombs, not only as hideous experiments to see which variety would cause the most human devastation but with one eye on the future and where the chips would fall in the post-war redrawing of the world map. Cynical? You bet it is. Okay, one, two, three, four. The little boy went to Hiroshima. City of Kyoko was spared. As it had more cultural significance, post-war relationships repaired. Cold War had been anticipated a fear of communism sweeping through the east. So the population were melted in a place that would be mourned least. Expedience above morality. Calculate and options weigh. Maximise the advantage all areas in shades of grey. Enola Gay did not fly to Germany because the population were white. It was decided Aryan supremacy meant killing yellow people was all right. Courting public opinion, pulling the racist card from the pack. Innocent Japanese civilians, the ones chosen to attack. Expedients above morality. Calculate and options weigh. Maximise the advantage all areas in shades of grey. No honour to be found in war, but there are atrocities. That there is no honour in war is proven by history. The decision-makers have motives easy to comprehend and a vision of the future that always suits their own ends. Okay, um, there we go. Heavy subject matter to begin with. Uh, Let's get on with the episode. So... 
I left you dangling with um, a proposition that the hamsters reform. And I'd been and told um, Stephen uh, that he couldn't be in it and then relented and changed my mind and said he could be uh, an organ player. And we'd got a couple of months to rehearse before the hamsters, um, in all their uh, tatty glory, were to be unveiled once again on the world. So... Um, there was myself, of course, Stephen, uh, even though he'd had a stroke and couldn't drum anymore, and Bobby, um, but Bobby had largely forgotten uh, the songs and how to play them, and John, our trusty uh, musician-like bass player. So to bolster uh, the ranks so that we could um, perform, uh, John was entrusted with fetching in some deputy hamsters and uh, this he he did. He, he fetched in um, uh, a drummer who she called Sticky D, and um, a guitar player, Blackrock. Um, and we set about rehearsing, and rehearsals were were were, were fine. It was all really good natured. Uh, Stephen didn't participate much. He would come along. Uh, scrounge some money and go and sit in the pub largely. Well, that was fine. And um, he would stop over at Bobby's. Um, and, and Bobby's partner, uh, Slavita, is uh, notoriously house proud, never ever stops cleaning. And, and while Stephen was stopping one, one night, uh, he said, is it okay have a bath? And they said, yeah, sure, you know. So he went and had a bath. And then when he emerged sometime later, he uh, he said to Slav, uh, that was brilliant, fantastic. That's the first bath I've had for four years. <laughs> she, she, scurried, she scurried off with, with great haste and uh, some vim under her arm to thoroughly uh, bleach the, the bath. Um, and uh, a sweeter, sweeter smelling Stephen was, uh, was there for... Um, for the duration of the rehearsals. Any, anyway, we came, as we got closer to um, to the event, it was, uh, the gig was previewed in um, the um, New Manchester Review, I do believe, and the uh, the writer, who, who, who knew nothing of us, really, he um, was very dismissive, and, and he wrote this piece, and he, he said um, something akin to, uh, what do wanky old punk bands do when they reform? They play in wanky old venues uh, to wanky old audiences. Uh, Bobby and I found this absolutely hilarious. Um, John was affronted, um, but Stephen was apoplectic. He went absolutely insane. And this writer was very, very fortunate that Bobby and I were able to calm him down uh, because he was threatening to go to the offices uh, and writing huge red paint across the wall, work, across the wall, word wanky, and then finding uh, the, the author of the review rub his nose vigorously into the wall. Uh, we dissuaded him, thankfully. Um, but that was um, that was all we did manage to dissuade him of. Um, the night uh, came 
to play the gig and um we we assembled and Stephen um had taken a great deal of trouble he'd got this sort of uh chinese style uh outfit on and he was manic there is no other word for it he was absolutely manic with nerves and adrenaline rushing through his head and all his paranoia and everything that always goes wrong began to go wrong. We attempted to have a sound check and the sound man couldn't deal with him, so we abandoned the sound check and we went to the pub. Um, and some people joined us for a drink and it was okay. And um, it was clear, clearly going to be a, a respectable crowd um, here for the return of the hamsters. And indeed, there was. There was about 150 people turned up for a band who hadn't played... Um, you know, for 20 years. So so that was very gratifying. But Stephen and I walked to the venue just before we got on. And um, and we were in the, in the dressing room and he said to me, shall I wear my hat? Um, which didn't seem like a big deal to me. I said, wear it if you want to, Stephen. He said, why are you telling me not to wear my hat? Somebody else told me I'd look good in my hat. I said, well, that's how you feel. Wear your hat, and uh, and we were off. He was he'd gone completely nuts. Um, the the next moment, his uh, his drug dealer turned up, um, and started chopping out copious lines of cocaine, and and the already um, manic Stephen was throwing lots of cocaine up his nose, which wasn't this wasn't going to be good. His dealer offered me a line, and Stephen, and again, there was some antagonism building up. His dealer offered me a line, and, and Stephen said, don't give that twat any, <laughs> which um, wasn't particularly friendly about somebody that you're stepping onto a stage in front of an audience with, you know, a minute or two later. Anyway, we got on the stage, and we launched into the first number, and it went okay, but Stephen was a bit excitable, and in a friendly way, at the end of the song, I turned to him off mic and said, just calm it down a bit, Steve. That was great. But just calm it down. It'll be better. He went ballistic uh, into the microphone. This twat is trying to tell me what to do. And it rather set the tone. He'd also, um, before the gig started, revealed to me... Um, the presence of a machete that he had up his sleeve. And as the gig um, got more and more fracturous, I was very tempted to um, punch him, basically. But uh, the presence of the machete sort of put me off. And uh, the rest of the band shuffled to the other side of the stage, leaving me as the bulwark um, between, between, between Stephen and them. Uh, it was... Absolutely horrific. Um, we even had some meathead who, I don't know what he thought we were, it was in front of the stage dancing and making Nazi salutes at us. It was, it was horrible. It's absolutely vile. And, uh, and there was even a dedication to the drug dealer. It was so embarrassing. I wanted to be sick. It was, t it was absolutely terrible. It was vile. It was vile. But people liked it. That's always that's always the trouble and always the case with the hamsters. We had good songs and uh, 
And people liked it. And we played a couple of cover versions. We played um, Open Up, Open Up Your Ears, Open Up Your Eyes, Open Up Your Mud, Take Your Mind by Surprise. That's a prize by Mungo Jerry, which was okay. And we played um, Sid Barrett's bike. I've got a bike. You can ride it if you like it. Got baskets, bells and rings and things that make it look good. I'd give it to you if I could, but I borrowed it. You're the kind of girl that fits in my world. I'll give you anything, everything, if you want things and all that which I loved. I thought it was the high point of the evening. Uh, John, um, our sulky bass player, absolutely hated it and said, it's not music. Um, anyway, we somehow um, got to the end of the gig and it was, it had been vile. It was one of the worst experiences of, of my life. It was absolutely terrible. And, um, as de facto leader, I um, I went to sort out the money with the proprietess, um, Pauline, who uh, I'd had a troubled relationship with anyway. I'm actually full of admiration for Pauline these days. She runs a different uh, place now and runs it entirely altruistically as in, in benefit of the homeless. She has become a saint, but at the time, I thought she was... Uh, an absolute harridan, and perhaps with some good reason. Anyway, I'm negotiating our fee, um, and we should have had a, a reasonably large payout from from this. But whilst I'm negotiating uh, the fee, uh, violence rears its ugly head again, and Stephen with his machete and his drug dealer with a large knife are um, squaring off against the doorman. Other doormen flood in from around the uh, pubs and clubs of Ashton on the line. And um, it's a horrible situation. Absolutely horrible. While I'm trying to get money. <laughs> anyway, we, I got some money. I didn't get what we should have got, but I got some money. And, and, I'm, and I went back and sort of calmed it down and, um, and, and started giving people money. I gave Stephen his money. And at this point, having um, insulted me all night and threatened me, he put his arm around me and said, that was so brilliant. It's the proudest moment of my life. Um, I just left him with it. I just left him with it. I, I went off and sought somewhere to go and uh, drown my sorrows. And um, I didn't speak to Stephen then for another four years, um, which he... he in layman's terms, he saw his ass at that as well. He couldn't understand why I was upset. Uh, but upset I was, uh, without a doubt. Anyway, what happened then was, for me, it was this had just been a one-off. But John and uh, the musicians he'd fetched in, Sticky D and uh, Black Rock, had kind of bonded into a unit and they wanted to form uh, a band and they wanted me to front it um, and though I was reluctant to do this it, it, it just hadn't uh, been part of my agenda they had rehearsed solidly for a couple of months and played this gig with this psychopath on the stage and I felt that I owed them um, so, on condition that, that uh, Bobby could be in the band as well, and that I could name it, 
and basically do whatever I wanted. Um, I agreed um, to, to form a band with them. So um, I named it Sheepdog Trials uh, because I thought they'd hate it. And I actually think it's a really good name now. Um, but they went along with it. And, um, and, and we set about forming this band. Um, I tried. Well, I didn't try. What I did, I, I, I was determined not to pour all my angst and my heart and soul into it because it's so scarring when you when you do that and um and i tried to write in a more abstract and detached way just writing you know rock and roll songs in the way you know bebop lulu for instance means nothing you know uh ready teddy or rip it up they, they mean nothing uh they're trite it's it's all in the attitude of how they're delivered and i was trying to write in that detached way um and so so we we started playing uh, some some gigs and it was and it was quite fun all of a sudden i realized i enjoyed it i'd not got stephen with a machete up his sleeve next to me for one thing um but but there was a there was real trouble we were offered um the gigs we were sort of offered were parts of these punk packages i remember us playing with um some quite big bands from that sort of second wave of punk, you know, Vice Squad and things like that. Um, but audiences hated us because we weren't punk with a capital P in for them. You know, we weren't in black leather jackets and, you know, we didn't look like that and we didn't play that <coughs> noise, you know, uh, at all. And... Um, it, it was it was a, a bit disconcerting, you know, because if we tried to play to other audiences, they found us too um, too raucous. Um, it was it was it was very very difficult. And another problem was arising, in that um, right from the get go, um, the axis of John and Sticky D and Blackrock didn't. Uh, want Bobby in the band because he's not a great musician. Um, what he is, though, is he's a good songsmith and he writes unusual songs and it, it makes you stand apart. It's good. He doesn't, he, you know, his influence was never Led Zeppelin or the Ramones. He doesn't play rock cliches. As, as a kid, he was into reggae and soul and the blues. And and, and so he's... he's um, his songs have a freshness that many other people's don't because they're full of the influences of their youth, and those influences tend to be cliched rock music. Um, and, and so it became a bit of a problem in that I was constantly being nagged that Bobby's got to go, Bobby's got to go. And I would say, no, 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 Bobby, no go. No, 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 Bobby, no go. If Bobby go, I go. And they were saying, Bobby's got to go, Bobby's got to go. And um, it was wearying, it was wearying, you know. Um, anyway, um, we're, we're doing all this. We did some recording that was absolutely terrible, really shocking. Um, and that's uh, when I realised that the standard of my writing had, had to improve and, and I couldn't carry on in this um, vein of 
of not writing anything personal because I didn't believe any any, any of it. You know, it was I was too detached from uh, from the songs in my own band, and and so uh, I started having to put more me into them, uh, and, and obviously then come uh, a little bit of pain. Uh, speaking of pain, around this time, my uh, dear friend. Uh, John Gill, who I'd done the Step Brothers with, um, was taken into hospital, um, and he was he was very ill. It was all sort of hush hush, but um, I, I spoke to him on the telephone a couple of times. I didn't get to see him, um, but he'd he'd got cancer, and uh, and he died um, shortly after. And and it was that was uh, sort of difficult to. Uh, to take because John had meant a lot to me and I'd got so much love and admiration uh, for him. Um, anyway, uh, some some months later, there was um, a memorial gig put together uh, by Eddie, who, who the other uh, what not wasn't a quarter because that's in four. The other triangular bit of. Um, of uh, Step Brothers, Eddie put this gig together at a band on the wall uh, with the Mekons uh, topping the bill because John had worked extensively with the Mekons playing uh, bass and, and recording them and, and stuff. Um, and John Hyatt from the Three Johns play. There were bands all day that, that John had, had worked with and, and, and we played um, we played that. Uh, and it's great. The band on the wall is such a great venue. It was it was very odd because while we were on stage, um, there was a the grand piano set out with John's ashes on top of um, the grand piano. Uh, so that was that was a bit weird having John on stage with us um, when he'd been dead a couple of months. Um, but it was really good, and uh, people enjoyed it. Uh, and, and the Mekons were great. Um, and you know, if they were without doubt the best band of the day, but we were without doubt the second best band of the day. Um, but it was all rather spoiled by Bobby and John. The Bobby problem came to a head uh, like a pimple bursting, gushing this horrible um, pimple juice over everything, um, and. Um, he he and John got into a, a violent argument, and he said really, really nasty, spiteful, personal things to John. And John left the band. Um, more of that after this break. We'll play some music. We'll play um, a, a band who I'd have liked us to sound a bit more like um, because because I thought they were daring and really good. So we're going to play Pink Grace, uh, The Nasty Show. One, two, three, ow!
was um, John's leaving of the band hadn't been impetuous, but had been a carefully orchestrated uh, manoeuvre, an orchestral manoeuvre. Um, and uh, the, the, the plan as such that was revealed to me later was that John would leave the band, declare he was going to start a band of his own, Sticky D and Blackrock would join him, leaving Bobby and I, leaving I, essentially bandless, and I would be forced to leave my own band that no longer existed and join their band, which now existed, and Bobby would be sidelined along the way. This was, um, what do they call it, a coup d'etat. That was what was supposed to happen. Unfortunately, John... Um, announced that he was forming his band, a, um, a, a, a sort of jazz rock reggae band, and he was um, going to grow, grow dreadlocks and things. And uh, Black Rock and Sticky D indeed went off to rehearse with him. Um, and a week later, uh, they, were, they were back with me. They said, oh, we've tried it with John, but it's no good. It, it just There's just no energy there we realise that you're the one who gives it the energy, the spark, the vibrancy. So so, um, so John's plan failed dismally. So um, we, we now needed a bass player and um, Blackrock fetched in a friend of his, his brother who, and this is an auspicious moment, he fetched in a man who shall be known as... Um, the lump, the 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 lump um, was a sort of grey blob from uh, from Timpoli, fairly um, fairly anonymous, probably dressed in beige when I first met him, and and he just sort of um, plodded through his bait and seemed harmless. This is what monsters do; they don't come at you with their claws out. Anyway, the blob would later on prove to be an absolute horror. But but for now he just uh, he just stood quietly and you know went boom 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 on his bass. All seemed uh, fairly good, and um, and so we got the blob in situ, and we went and did some recording. Uh, my friend Eddie, my friend Eddie had now got a stu- he'd moved house, so his studio was now in a shed in his back garden, and we went and recorded him in Eddie's shed. The, the trouble, trouble was there wasn't room for all the all the instruments were scattered over his lawn, and um, we'd take one in at a time, you know, and, and do our bit. Uh, it wasn't particularly uh, conducive to um, to professional recording, and and I sort of liked it. There was spirit, you know, but it was um, even even I, as much as I liked the spirit of it all, it was far too loose and um, mistake ridden for um, general consumption, and I recognise that. Anyway, we, we did that, and I, th- I think during the same week, lo and behold, um, my telephone rang, and it's uh, it's John, and the cheeky bastard. And he, uh, he doesn't ask to come back into the band. He demands that I readmit him into the band. So I say... This is really difficult, John. You know, um, 
we've we've got another bass player that you know we've got this fella called the lump playing bass don't want two bass players i said i said luke um you know if if you're gonna come back you're gonna have to um play play you're gonna have to buy some keyboards and play keyboards i said and also um i've just written this song and it's about you um and it's really good and you're gonna have to stand there while i sing this song about you called john joanne you go, John Joanne is quite a man, and sometimes he's quite a lady, and so on. Um, and so anyway, he, he sort of complied with with all this. And, then, and weirdly, uh, the resistance, I'm the one who, who, who sort of um, probably had reason to say, no, 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 you can't come back. But uh, it was his, his chums, uh, Blackrock and Sticky D, who, who were sort of resistant, saying I should have run it past them before I allowed him back in, and he'd gone off and left, you know, and they were all perfectly happy with the lump. But anyway, he um, he came back and he played um, played John Joanne with us. And uh, But what was obviously is, is now we turned into a different band, and so... Um, we uh, decided it was time for a name change. And for very dubious reasons, we ended up being called Sick Nurse, which I found funny at, uh, at first because of the dubious reasons, which I'm not going to go into because uh, the, because this programme is m much more tasteful than that. Um, but, but, but later on, I came, I came to absolutely hate the name Sick Nurse. It just sounded so stupid to me um oh god um so let's let's play another song because we've just formed sickness and we've got keyboards and we should have started um sounding experimental we should have started sounding wow electronic and wow um unfortunately uh, John just reverted from playing uh, Strangler's bass lines to playing Strangler's keyboard lines over everything. But we should have sounded a bit like this. So this is Fisher Spooner, and it's the 15th, which is your Wire song. And, and why I'm playing it is I love Fisher Spooner. It's very much sort of where I was at uh, at the time. But I know I've not played anything by Wire, so it's like killing two birds with one stone. So Fisher Spooner, the 15th.
So, uh, here we go. My gay life is uh, in in full swing, and I'm writing um, lots of songs that reflect that. Because, as I said, now I'm putting myself into um, into the songs, and um, and it's really good um, because, for one thing, it's it's being noticed, and it's sort of um, stealthy. Um, we were playing to very straight sort of audiences. We played a, a lot in this sort of punk stroke biker bar in um, in Stockport uh, that Phil will tell me the name of because I've forgotten it. What's the name of it, Phil? Shout up. Dingo Dongo's bar. The Thatched House, yes. We played a lot in The Thatched House. I remember the first time we played there and we played these songs and, and I've become um, very expressive. Um, you, you just can't help it. I don't know. I've got a wiggle in my walk and a giggle in my talk. And um, we, we played the gig and the landlord, who was, who was this big sort of punk rock guy, um, he was very enthusiastic and he didn't speak to me after he spoke to the others. He said, that was absolutely great. He said, uh, no, but he's your singer. Is, is he... Uh, no, a bit the other way. <laughs> I was definitely the other way. We, one of the songs we sang was Glory Hole, um, which which gives me an indication. And it went, something popped through the glory hole, something proud and stiff, something popped through the glory hole. It's like standing at the edge of a cliff. Do I look? Do I leap? Do I take the plunge? Do I leave the song and song? Or do I do do do? And and so on. And it was all uh, it was all about having sex in in gentlemen's uh, toilet cubicles. So so that's why it was it was good. We'd got a direction, and and we you know it it really there was a sort of golden sunny period. We'd got good songs. Visually, we were uh, interesting. The only the only problem is is that it was too trad, and and everybody there wasn't enough light and shade. I, I mean, because we'd got a keyboard player, we had keyboards on every song, and it's not merited. You know, there should have been songs where where, where John Flamenco danced or. You know, or I don't know, pour drinks for me, something like that. Um, you know, or play the second guitar, you know, and dance the Watusi. Um, anyway, it was that would later on become a problem for me, for me the lack of um, adventure in the music. But for now, we were solid, we were playing gigs, there were a lot of fun and. Um, we were fa fairly sort of close together. Um, when I say we were fairly close together, they were fairly close together. They sort of got on well, and I was slightly detached, not like some sort of weird uh, autocrat who living on a house on the hill, you know. But they would socialise, and I was less likely to socialise, in part because of my job, of course, because, because I worked hours that were the reverse of theirs. I was starting work at 2 a.m. and finishing at um, 10, you know, 10, 10 o'clock in, in the morning. And, and so my my daytime was their nighttime. And, 
And, and so it made life very difficult. Uh, it certainly made life difficult in terms of trying to um, get gigs, trying to infiltrate. Uh, there's always a scene of local bands and things like that. And we needed to be in it. We played lots of gigs, but they were tended to be um, not enough in the centre of Manchester. We played in Stockport a lot, we played in Ashton-under-Line a lot, we played in Oldham a lot, but we needed to get into the centre of things. And the way that you do that, I tried to explain to the band, was that you go to gigs and you make contacts with people, you talk to people, you get to know people. You know, and, and you get yourself an in, networking, they call it, don't they? But I hate that. It makes you sound yuppie. Um, any, anyway, I did propose this. I said, I can't do it. I'm at work, you know, when when uh, this, or I'm at sleep just before I'm going to work. Uh, I can't go to these gigs because of my job. You're going to have to make an effort. When you go out, stop going to the Manchester Evening News Arena and watching all these big rock stars get involved in the grassroots local scene, go to some gigs and speak to people. So uh, I remember they went to see the reformed magazine at the academy and they thought that was a local gig lesson. I didn't even bother after that. It seemed so pointless trying to uh, trying to point out um, they weren't going to have a chat with our devoto afterwards and he wasn't going to come and play at the thatched house with us anyway um so anyway we're getting gigs we played some uh some dead good gigs uh we played um with kevin Ayres. my uh oh you know kevin Ayres, as i've said right at the start of these uh podcasts was meant so much to me kevin Ayres was up there with like david bowie and Iggy Pop and the Velvet Underground to me in terms of influence. And um, he was uh, booked to play at um, the Witchwood. And straight away, I was onto the promoter, Pod, who I've mentioned before, Prince of Darkness. And uh, I said, Pod, you know, we've got to play with Kevin Ayres. He said, you can't do. He wants, he's insisting on a acoustic support. I said, I'll get them to play acoustic instruments. He said, oh, well, if you can do that, that's fine. You can have the support kick. So the guys had to go out and buy acoustic instruments so that I could fulfil my uh, lifelong ambition to play with Kevin Ayres. Bless them for that. Bless them. Um, and we played, and, and it was really good. And in a quite lovely moment, Kevin Ayres stood all through and watched us. And at the end, he came up to me, and in his sumptuous, velvety voice, he said to me, I rather enjoyed that. You're uh, quite eccentric, aren't you, for Northerners? And I love that. I absolutely love it. It's it's made uh, my life worth living. Uh, yeah, we played they played uh, with Theatre of Hate. That was another funny one. Because Kurt Brandon, um, I know his, his, his thunder stolen by the simple act of John trying to clamber onto the stage. Um, in stiletto heels and a pencil skirt, much to the uh, huge uh, amusement of the audience, uh, with Kurt Brandon scowling at him. Um, that was a good one. And then, um, disaster of sorts struck, because we were due to play a charity concert at the Witchwood, and it was a two day event this charity thing and um 
the 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 first night was a um, a death metal night, which obviously we weren't invited to play, and the second night was an alternative music night, which we were invited to play. So um, I led the troops to uh, the Witchwood, and we got there, and the man on the door said, "What are you doing here tonight?" you're not on tonight. This is death metal night. And it's like, oh dear, oh dear, uh, confusion. And then he said, um, what has happened is the last band on haven't shown up. You could go on in their spot. Brilliant for I, absolutely brilliant. Perfect, couldn't be better. So, we retired to um, to a pub, I forget what it was called, down the road, and uh, got really drunk, played a lot of pool, and decided um, that for, for all these um, doomy, heavy metal rockers, on speed, we want to play a, a Mogadon slow version of Silent Night. Uh, anyway, we, we got into the venue, and it's full of people in black leather with these enormous boots with um, spikes and studs all over them. And, and it's packed and sweaty and heads turn when we walk in. It was like straw dogs. Um, you know, we just didn't look the part. We were not welcome um, to put, not to put too fine a point on it. And there's a band uh, playing and at the end of uh, their set uh, blackrock asks if it's okay if he uses their amplifier and they tell him to to uh, fuck off and there's a little bit of a to do about that anyway it's sorted out we get all the amplification and we um we get on the stage and we start playing um and uh <laughs> then the audience attacks us <laughs> um there's the um the antagonism hasn't gone away, and and and, and standing up for for my bandmates, um, I start uh, I, I throw my drink over over this particular um, tall aggressor, and um, and and he comes for me. I mean, he's only, he's only about nineteen, but he's about six foot six. It's it's ridiculous, and he's on the stage, sort of trying to punch me, and I'm trying to sing. Um, because I'm still, I've still not given up uh, on the gig. Uh, and in between words, I'm hitting him on the head with this microphone. Um, and, and then somebody from the audience grabs me um, by the ankles and I'm pulled feet first from the stage into the audience where somebody in, in these ridiculous uh, heavy metal boots full of studs and things runs over and kicks me uh, in the eye and my eye explodes uh, in bloodshed, and I'm unconscious on the floor in a pool of blood. And and fortunately, they they don't continue the assault as uh, as as the previous assault that I'd suffered had, had done. And anyway, um, an ambulance is called, and I'm put on a stretcher. And as I'm being stretchered out of the uh, out of the venue, um, Pauline again. My my sort of uh, my nemesis of sorts at the time 
he's leaning over the stretcher, shouting at me, there's always trouble when you're here. You, you're bad. <laughs> um, which was the least of, of, of my worries. Anyway, I got to hospital and there was no lasting damage except... Um, Except I need a lot more beauty sleep these days. Um, all the, all the st stitches around my face were not um, were not uh, making things uh, any better on on, on the uh, on the front. Although, you know, in, weirdly in the gay circles I moved, they were very very popular. You know, I looked a bit soggy. Um, I digress. Um, so that that wasn't great. I'd, I'd just been beaten up again. But what came out of it was um, a week or so later, Pod, Prince of Darkness, the promoter at the Witchwood, who had not been there on the night, phones me up and he said, look, I know what's happened and I know it's not your fault. I'm really, really sorry. And I want to do something to, um, to show that I'm sorry and kind of make up a little bit. I've got a really good support at the Witchwood for you. Um, you know, do you want to play with Will Cole Johnson? And I said, we're bad. He said, that doesn't matter. She she doesn't she doesn't know what, she still thinks you're the hamsters. You know, she's no idea that you're called sick nurse. Um, and, and so we're uh, set to play with Will Cole Johnson. So we turn up and it's, and it's really good. There's Will Cole, you know, and he's got Norman Watroy on the bass. So the guys are really excited because these are like proper musicians. And um, they've got um, a room full of beer and Wilco is teetotal. And so Wilco very nicely says, you guys might as well have this because I'm not going to drink it. So we've got a lot of free beer and we've got a big full audience. And I've sensed that there's going to be... Um, some, some something's gonna happen, and so I'm um, not really want to back down. I've dressed for the occasion, and I'm like a prototype uh, only gay in the village. In that I've got these boots on with little ankle socks tucked over them. I've got these tight shorts, and I've got this crop top on in a chiffon, um, playing with Will Cole Johnson. Um, anyway, we're playing and. Um, and we're going down really well, con considering that, you know, we're not playing a, some blues derivative, you know. Um, and it, it's going really well. But then it becomes apparent that my uh, assailants from the previous incident, heavy metal guys, are at the back, and they start shouting abuse. At one stage, we've just finished the song, and I've sort of stepped away from the mic, and then just as I'm stepping back to it, the, uh, the the main guy, the big tall gangly guy who's been hitting me with the microphone and he's been hitting me on the stage, shouts, you big fucking puff. Uh, and, but I'm just moving into the microphone with perfect timing and synchronicity. I say, by George, I think you've got it. And um, the audience uh, fall over laughing. And then quite wonderfully, they in on, on mass or a number not on you know not all of them not 200 people turn out but a number of the audience manhandle the our aggressors or my aggressors and throw them out of the venue um and that was that was sort of wonderful and 
and lovely. Um, there we are. Shall we play another song now? Is, is it time to play another song? Um, so, so as, I, as I've said, um, you know, there's there's lots of lots of gay stuff going on, and and I'm and and obviously, you know, I'm 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 living this lifestyle, and I'm trying to find music that uh, fits in with my lifestyle a little bit. And there's the emergence of uh, Rufus Wainwright. And I went to see Rufus a few times. I saw him one time at the Lowry uh, Centre, and it was a Christmas show with his full family, his extended family. So his sister Martha playing, Kate and Anna McGarrigal are playing, you know, his mother, and Rufus were playing, and they're all interchanging, and that was wonderful. And I've seen it a couple of times, you know, in more formal settings. And I thought he was really good, Rufus. Uh, but the obvious choice of song to play by Rufus... Wainwright, because of this period, is game attire. It's a winner. Three, four, five, six. Cause 
Okay, so um, so that was Rufus. I liked a lot. Back to the band, um, we um, decided to do some recording, and um, a friend of Black Rocks was uh, a guy called John Pennington. John was uh, got a seriously good reputation as a producer, stroke engineer, um, and uh, we went into the studio with uh, with John Pennington and recorded some tracks that were really. Really, really good, really polished. I should have perhaps paid you some of that, but I haven't done anyway. Um, it was dead good. I was dead pleased with it. Um, although um, some of the guys didn't like it because they thought it had gone... Um, they kind of wanted to, to always replicate what we sounded like live. And I kept trying to say, you don't have to do that in a studio. Use the studio as another instrument, as another element but they wanted to replicate what they did live and we didn't do, and it was good. It was great. And, and from there, obviously, John uh, John learned a lot and he went off uh, to America where he started working with Moby and Madonna and people like that. But he learned it all off me. Um, so um, another fortuitous meeting at that time, we, um, we played a gig uh, with a local band with the sort of band that I've been telling them that we should play with. We played with a gig with a group um, called Bobby Peru. Uh, and it was the first time that I met um, somebody who, who will feature later, who I've been in bands with, who I've recorded with tons of times. It was the first time I met um, Simon Ding, Archer, Dingo. Um, Ding is, is sort of another high-caliber one. Uh, he'd been a member of the Fall. He'd been in PJ Harvey's band in since, and he's played bass in Pixies and all sorts of things, as well as his other band. So he played with Bobby Peru, who were pretty good, um, and we were pretty good as as well. That was um, that was good, and I felt um, you know we were sort of getting a bit of momentum, um, and then what happens then? is um, you start having lineup changes. Um, and so um, Bobby decided to call it a day, which was a relief in a way, because the bickering had never, ever stopped. The, uh, Bobby's got a goal, Bobby's got a goal, Bobby's got a goal. Sort of, it's still like a distant echo in, uh, in my ear. Anyway, he, um, the problem was solved because he decided he didn't like carrying amplifiers anymore, um, and, and, and so he left. Um, and in came um, a big, tall, lanky guy, a streak of piss, basically, with, with long hair, who um, loved um, Frank Zappa, called TK Maxx. Uh, he had really big feet as well. And he was, um, he was great. Was TK Maxx. He was the opposite of Bobby in the where Bobby's not a good musician. TK Maxx was really good. He was a wizard lead guitar player. Um, so it completely changed the sound. And of course, the guys hated it because uh, because it's, they, they didn't want they didn't want this lead guitar. It made them feel a bit inferior. I think, truth be told. Uh, but I like I sort of liked him, even though um, a, a lot of the music he liked was not stuff I'd listened to. You know, he he, he liked things like um, all, all the 
heavy metal bands beginning with M, you know, M- Metallica and Megadeth and Motley Crue and, and all that. He liked all, all that sort of stuff, but he didn't fetch that into the band with him. And he um, and I liked writing with him. Whenever I wrote with him, he sort of wrote these kind of funky sort of little things, which <coughs> was good. I like I like TK Max. He was he was a nice guy. Um, so um, then um, that guitar thing goes, and then Sticky D leaves. Uh, the drummer leaves, and. Um, uh, we had we played a couple of gigs with somebody depping. I can't remember. He was fucking hopeless. He was in this band called Resist, um, and he sat in with us. What's he called? Phil Peak. <laughs> um, Phil Peak very kindly sat in with us a couple of times um, without knowing the the songs and did a very capable job. I hasten to add. Which is, which is very nice, but he was already in a band, so he wasn't going to join. So we, what we got in was a much a young blood, somebody who was uh, in, in the 20s. We got in, in this guy called Mad Jim, who um, used to play in a, a wrestling match. Um, and he didn't, he didn't wear underwear, and he always had holes in his trousers, so he'd play with his testicles hung over his uh, drum stool. Um, and, he, and he played very... He wasn't a fourth to the floor, man. He was he was all over the place. He was from the Keith Moon school of drumming. It was wild and energetic. And again, it gave it all a different flavour. Um, and you need to refresh bands. It, that was that was good. And again, he was a nice time, a nice guy. If if uh, if somewhat eccentric, um, he was in the right band for for, that, for eccentricity. Da, 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 da. Um, so what else? Uh, I went to uh, around this time. I went to the Supersonic Festival in Birmingham, which is a great festival. In um, it's in this venue called the Custard Factory, which is uh, the name gives it away. It's an old custard factory, um, and it's it's sort of um, the avant-garde edge of pop music. And uh, the top of the bill were Psychic TV. Uh, there was a cluster, heroes of mine were on just before them, and Dalek from New York were on as as, as well. And uh, I went along there with, with Bobby and Slav, and uh, we got there and we booked into this hotel, and, uh, and Bobby always likes to smoke, and I don't smoke, but I said, Bobby, give me some to eat, and he gave, gave me some, uh, some, some, some marijuana to eat, and... Um, it sent me completely bonkers. I don't. I don't know why it does that. Um, but I, I spent the day laughing at every. You know, but somebody said, Do "You want a cup of tea?" <laughs> you know, it was it was ludicrous. Uh, we we were in a pub at some point in the afternoon, and um, and I put some. Uh, where's the jukebox? It was a good jukebox, and I put James Brown on. And I was spinning around and cartwheeling. And I, I'm shouting, and, and I'm sort of spun. And as I spun, I shouted, get on up! And there was a guy in a wheelchair directly in front of me, which wasn't very appropriate. Um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a strange day. It was, it was going... Anyway, we went to the custard factory. Dialect were fantastic. I've never heard dialect before. They were brilliant. Uh, but I was a bit sort of spaced out, and cluster were, were, were really good. 
And then, before Psychic TV came on, we were evacuated um, from the building. There was a, a major, you know, grade A bomb scare. And um, we were escorted through the streets of Birmingham. We were eerily silent. You know, there's windows open with the curtains flapping. It was like a, a scene from when the wind blows. You know, it's like uh, a post-nuclear apocalypse. And the only people that we encountered on the street are armed troops and armed police, you know, who, who are really jumpy. And, and I'm in this chemically enhanced state. Uh, and that was pretty freaky, actually. Anyway, we... Uh, <sighs> It's just just a very strange memory, that one. Uh, yeah. It's sort of a, a precursor of what we've just been, been through in terms of, in terms of weirdness. Um, because of the, um, the amount of gay material that I'm writing at this stage in the band, I um, propose a name change. Because, as I say, I've never liked sickness. So they're sort of receptive up to a point of um, of changing the name. You know, they want to be called, I don't know, Hard Curtains or, you know, Stiff Cock or something. Um, and, and until I said I, I want to be called uh, Cockatoo, and they went absolutely mental at me. They really hated me. And and John in particular screamed. He was like a harrod and he shrieked at me. And we, people don't see him as being, even though he wears dresses, people don't see him as being particularly feminine. But he was like a Ina Sharples in his fury at me, screeching at me. Oh, we're not being called that. You're gay stuff. You're gay stuff. And the gay stuff was becoming increasingly problematic. They had a problem with it um, in, in that they seem to think that they um, undermine the masculinity. Uh, anyway, we they wouldn't let me call the band Cockatoo, but we, what we did was, um, I did manage to use the name. We, um, I, with the aid of, of my friend John Simpson, who tried, tried vainly to, to manage us. Oh God, he wasn't very good at it, but we, it, it was a thankless task anyway. Uh, John and I did a block booking and we got a regular Saturday night in uh, the Thompson's Arms in Manchester's Gay Village upstairs. We got this thing and we launched uh, the Cockatoo Club, um, which was the aim of taking guitars to the gays, um, which is a bit of a struggle. Um, anyway, we did it and... And I, enjoyed, I got to DJ, which was great. I got to play all my records that, of, of music that I wanted us to sound like and none of the music that the rest of the guys wanted us to sound like. And um, we had different support acts on and John Pennington came down and mixed it and, and he was very excited. He was being very proactive. You know, I think he'd got a weekend off from Madonna or something. Madonna wanted to be checking out. Um, and um, it was great. And um, on the on the last night, strangely enough, numbers had been fairly sparse. But on the last night, it was rammed. It's absolutely rammed, and it was great. And I got a bit of groupy action, which was weird. And I've tried not to make any of this gratuitous, but I should men mention groupies, you know, because um, because they're a fact, aren't they, of this rock and roll world that I inhabit. 
Anyway, we played this game and I'm horribly sticky and sweaty. And this guy and his girlfriend come over to me and he's too touchy-feely for it to be coincidental. And as I say, it's packed. And his girlfriend says, would you like a drink? I'm going to the bar. So I order drinks and I can see that, you know, she's going to be 10 minutes at the, at the bar. She's gone. And so I just beckoned him and took him in the broom cupboard and, um, and and introduced him to the to the joys of man on man sex, um, which which he enjoyed thoroughly. Um, but, but then um, sort of regretted uh, when 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 I brought up the subject again. Uh, anyway, that was I had a groupie. There you are. Ah. Uh, I'm going to play going to play a record at that point because because this is sort of a, in fact I'm going to play two records of stuff that I might well have played at Club Cocker too. So we're going to play the Animal Collective, who were probably my favourite band at the time. We're going to play We Tigers, and we're going to play Wolf Eyes again, just because it's such a brilliant noise. And we should have been making a noise like this, stabbed in the face by Wolf Eyes.
through this period, and you know, we're still in the aftermath of uh, of, of my business empire um, imploding, and um, I've been I've been in a lot of debt, and um, I've been working really, really hard, and been very disciplined, and in perhaps two and a half, three years, I've managed to pay off my debts by. Not not having very much fun, basically working and paying debts off, um, and I'm very sort of uh, not very proud, but I'm quite I'm quite proud that that I did that, that I didn't just take the easy way out and then cry about it, you know, moan, oh poor me, I just just got on with it, which was which was good. I, I was sort of pleased with myself that you find out about yourself in bad times, I suppose is what I'm saying, and and everybody's life you have. Bad times and, and there I was I had a bad time and I dealt with it big fucking deal really uh, anyway it was time I'd still be living with, with my mother which with my lifestyle was not ideal I'm sure you can imagine so I needed somewhere to live and um, you're, you're in the middle here at, at this point in the early 2000s everything is ridiculously expensive you go and you know I'm not even looking at city centre flats. I go and look at a flat in Ashton Underline, a one-bedroom flat, you know, and they want £120 a week for a one-bedroom flat. And then you got, you know, it's, it's, it, was, it was crazy. I couldn't afford, you know, and I couldn't justify moving into these things. Anyway, I bumped into a guy, George, who um, I knew from um, Smithfield Market. And, and George had... Um, moved on and he was working in the probation service and his remit was to help out uh, released offenders, predominantly drug offenders, to integrate back into society, to help them into work and to help them get home. And, uh, and George offered to uh, intercede on my behalf and um, bump me up a, a, a waiting list and, and help me get a flat. And he did and I got, um, I got offered a flat. Within within a week of meeting George, I was offered a flat uh, on West End Estate in Ashton Underline, which has got a horrible reputation. And it wasn't any, it was no luxury, it was no bed of roses. There's a lot of violence sort of out on the street. But I was never particularly, nobody ever threatened me or anything like that in, in the 10 years that I ended up um, living there. So I got a flat, which meant that. Um, <sighs> my behaviour um, socially and sexually um, had no um, limits for, for, a, for a long time. Um, I, I lived um, more hedonistically in that period than uh, I probably um, ever lived before. Um, drugs re-entered my life, for one thing. I, I started um, enjoying... Um, uh, a mixture of uh, amphetamine sulfate, sulfate and MDMA, which turned me into an absolute social nightmare to be with, you know, a, a loud mouth person who wanted to hug everybody. Um, yeah, uh, that, so that was that. And I also started at, at this point, um, because I wasn't getting to a lot of gigs, and I do need a live music fix. Because of the nature of my job, I couldn't get a lot of gigs. Um, I'd, I'd occasionally go to things with Mark Riley, but 
into my lap falls the opportunity start going um once a year to the all tomorrow's parties festivals which which were brilliant anybody who went to them you know will 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 tell you that from a um a sort of um audience members point of view they were fantastic because there's this roster of unbelievably good and interesting bands some bad bands as well but but that's the nature of it isn't it you know there was a massive number of bands over three days in a really good atmosphere um great um films being piped through to your television lots of lovely coastal walks um and so i'd go and go and catch up have my music fix over this long weekend on the southern coast at all tomorrow's parties um and that was really good you know i went um i went with my friend karen a couple of years and uh, there was a year there's a year i went with craig oh god that was funny i think i'm going to tell you about that in the next in the next episode because because it's too funny for me to have it just as an aside here um so i'm doing i'm doing that and at, at this point probably four years has now passed between um the hamsters debacle and and since i last saw steve and uh i found myself on one daytime uh because i'm working through the night um uh, driving through charlton come hardy leaf charlton charlton come hardy where stephen lived and i thought just just in, in a flash i just thought i'm going to go and see steve <clears throat> you know enough time to lapse i'll go and see steve so i um i knocked on his door rapped on the door rap 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 and uh, he's completely paranoid as usual you know there's a first attempts you know i can hear him shuffling around but there's no answer i rap again louder rap 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 and then, and then there's this voice who is it who is it i said it's me you idiot and he flings the door open and he sees me and there's practically tears in his eye and he he jumps on me and hugs me says oh i love you i've missed you so much uh, because it, that was that's the sort of uh yin and yang thing you know he could, he could hate could hate me one minute and but deep down he loved me as well so we end we entered his abode and we sat down and we've got four years of catching up to do obviously so um so he tells me a little bit what he's he's doing moaning and groaning about his situation um and i and he said and you i said well i've got some big news to tell you steve because in in the period since i last saw you i've discovered um i've had an epiphany and discovered uh, my true sexuality i'm gay and he looked at me with sort of narrowed eyes and he said to me you bastard pause and then he said i always wanted to be the gay one <laughs> which, was, which was lovely um and um and 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 from from then on until the rest of uh through the rest of steve's life um we were we were on on good terms after that um uh, he was steve was written in I'd say supportive. He loved the fact that I was gay. 
And he would say to me, look, it's given you. You're young again. Look at you. You've got all this energy. You've got everything. You've got so much to talk about and write about. Wow. He said, it's incredible. Why couldn't it be me? You know, it was, it was, it was really, really good. I used to embarrass him. If ever he came to uh, my flat, I would... Um, I would, I would stick gay porn on the t on the television and um, while I brewed up and he would, wouldn't know where to quite put his face, which was really good for somebody like Stephen to uh, to see them squirming in embarrassment. Anyway, um, I think Stephen. Yeah, I'd say we we had this got we had this golden period, Stephen and I, where he was he was ill. Um, which was probably why we were having the golden period, because his um, his drug abuse and his uh, alcohol consumption had largely stopped. He'd got serious uh, liver problems and he, he couldn't drink. And so I'd go round and we would... Um, he, he would shuffle. You know, he was, he was still mobile enough to, to get about, but it was a shuffle. And we would, we would go into um, the middle of Charlton and we would... Uh, going to uh, the Oxfam bookshop, looking through books, and we're talking about books. We're talking about all the things that first forged our friendship. And we're having a good time. And we would uh, I'd then take him into a, into a cafe and we'd just have a coffee. And I would tell him what I'd been up to. And, and I still remember, he used to love that. And, and but, you know, he wasn't particularly well. And as I'd tell him some of the things that I'd been up to, he would say, oh, please stop it. You're making me laugh too much. It, it hurts me. I remember one particular um, thing that released him in laughter. I'd been at um, a non-league football match in Staley Bridge, uh, hardly a hotbed of sort of football violence, but the police um, had turned up en masse for some reason and we're in a pub perhaps an hour and a half before the game. Uh, there's full of people, not even rowdy, just good-naturedly having a drink, no singing, shouting, or anything like that. Just a packed pub of people having a drink. And the, these four police officers came barging in, knocking everybody out of the way to announce their presence, banging people, knocking the drinks over, walked through, and then walked uh, back again. It was, it was horrible, you know, it's just bullying and, and abusing their uh, their powers. And as the last one walked past me, I was leaning on the bar, and I shouldn't have done it, I know. Um, I pinched his bottom. And he turned round abruptly and stared me in the face. And I said, ooh, are you a real one? I thought you was a stripper, Graham. And um, he grabbed me by the throat and pulled me out of um, out of the pub. And um, they've got a, a van there with the doors open. And I'd sized up the situation, you know, as you do, you know, your mind's a computer. I'd sized up the situation and I knew that this big macho man was not going to arrest me and, and make a report, say, you know, recounting what, uh, what had happened. He, he, he just wouldn't, he would be humiliated. Um, he wasn't going to do that. But I did fear that I was going to go in that van and I was going to, um, I was going to take a severe beating. Um, fortunately, 
lots of people have seen this and pe and you know per perhaps soon there's 30 people uh, stood witnessing what's going on and this policeman is shouting abuse into my face he's completely lost control he's an inch away from my face and i'm covered in his in his phlegm you know and his spittle as he's screaming at me absolutely screaming at me but ultimately there wasn't a lot he could do and they got in the police van and um, and drove away anyway stephen found that very amusing for instance um that i'd even there in my 50s i've not lost a the capacity to um, <sighs> cause a little bit of mischief and unrest. Um, so, yes, so we, we went along and um, then I remember Stephen getting uh, ill and, uh, and, it, and it was a very sad period. Anyway, I'm just going to have a pause now. I'm going to play something. Uh, one of the ultimate parties that um, I've mentioned that I used to go to saw a band from the Congo, one of the best bands I've ever seen, and they did a couple of albums that were absolutely brilliant. So I'm going to play Kanono uh, Number no. 1, and this is Kule Kule. <laughs>
Okay, uh, we're on the home straight. I know this has been a longish uh, episode. So, Stephen's ill. He's, um, every time I see him, he's sort of weaker, although he's, his humour um, is generally good. He, he isn't self-pitying at all. In, in true illness, he's, he's one of his ma- major weaknesses over a period of time is the self-pity, but it's largely been manufactured as a... Um, as a way of extracting funds from people. Now that he's really ill, he's um, he's strangely at, at sort of peace or at one with it all, and he and he, and he and he was quite inspirational. Um, anyway, he gets um, taken into hospital. He doesn't let anybody know, um, but um, thankfully, a friend of mine was visiting somebody else. And bumped into Steve, and Steve said, "Oh, I don't want anybody to know I'm here, but tell, tell Mo, tell me." Um, so the next day, which was a Saturday, I went to see Steve in hospital, and uh, his liver and his kidneys are failing, and and he got all problems in these kind of nether regions. Um, it's, um, I mean, this sounds sort of sounds funny, but it, isn't. it must have been horribly painful. He'd got uh, testicles the size of an elephant, you know. They'd really swollen up, and um, but he was he was there. He's in good humour. He'd been um, sketching the nurses, doing doing these wonderful sort of caricatures, and and everybody seemed to like. Oh, Stephen, all the nurses, you know. And uh, I went, and the, across the road in the Whitworth Art Gallery, there was. Um, an exhibition on, um, well, I always forget his name, it's weird, isn't it? William Blake, there's an exhibition of William Blake's paintings and some poems at the, uh, at the Whitworth. And, and I knew Steve liked Blake, and I like Blake. And I said, you know, it's a shame we can't go over. He said, we can, we can, not a problem. And so he got out of bed and he had this string tied to the back of his trousers that he pulled up and held in front of him to support his testicles. And he'd got an overcoat on, his slippers. Um, and we went over to the Whitworth and went round this William Blake exhibition. Um, and I had a really, really nice time. And we sat in the cafe in the Whitworth and I bought him a sandwich and a cup of tea. And then he said, you know, will you buy me a uh, food's horrible in there? Will you buy me a sandwich? <coughs> For later, which of course I did, and then I took him back over to the hospital, and uh, outside the hospital we embraced, and he'd taken every time he saw me at that point, saying um, as he embraced me, he'd, he'd all say, "I love you. See you soon." So he said, "I love you. I'll see you soon," um, but he didn't see me soon. It was the last time that I ever saw him, uh, uh, because. He returned home briefly, um, and I spoke to him on the telephone, but he was very ill. And then he was rushed into the hospital, um, and he was unconscious for a couple of weeks on life support, and uh, eventually um, he passed away. It was very, very sad, absolutely devastating, in fact. Um, so we'll leave tonight there, and... Uh, I'm going to play out not on something maudlin, because Stephen wouldn't have liked that. I'm going to play out with another of my favourites, 
That's better, isn't it? That sounds better. Uh, another of my favourites from the period. This is Jay Riotard. Oh, it's such a shame. So it's goodbye from me, goodbye from Phil, goodbye from Helen. John, please don't take me too seriously. Don't take offence. It's just my memories. Um, and you know that I love you anyway, you big, mad, bold fool. Okay, thank you all for listening. And uh, see you soon. Bye-bye. fine music and interesting banter thanks for listening to this episode of flowing backwards and you can always go and hit our facebook page go on to flow backwards leave a comment um, or even ask to uh, be added onto our list i don't know anything um the next episode will be going out in two days time um, it is Cockatoo and that's not a ballerina's dress no it, it certainly isn't so thank you very much again for listening from me and from Ian we will see you soon Terrible and